Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan, presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 40. 40 episodes. Who'd have thought? Thanks to everyone who's been sending through questions or comments on our Instagram page at The Lineup Pod or directly to me at Dave Prodan. Uh, we respond to everyone, and it's been super fun to connect with our listeners on ideas moving forward, so keep them coming. Today's guest is someone who was a virtual unknown when he qualified for the 2020 Championship Tour. But now, following the release of his groundbreaking film, Postcards from Morgues, he's become an international star, which is a nice way to use your time during the pandemic. Raised in quietly core Australian surfing communities and following in the footsteps of blue-collar power surfers of yesteryear, please enjoy the lineup's conversation with Meriwether's Morgan Sibilich. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. I thought you were boxing. All right. Morgan Sibilic joining the lineup. Thanks so much for joining us today, Morgs. No, thank you. It's a pleasure. You know, um, so no one, um, I don't think outside of Yamba or Meriwether or Ryan Fletcher knew who you were when you qualified. And now that Postcards from Morgs has dropped, everyone in the world knows who you are. So how, how does that feel? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like, just, I've, I've been enjoying myself just being able to walk around town or go in places and um, no one really knows who I am. So it's been a bit of a change up and it's pretty exciting and um, not sure how I like it yet, but it'll be good. It'll be good. It'll, maybe I'll get more waves now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's one of the things too. It's, it's part of the film, which is so, so funny. Um, for those who haven't checked it out, check it out wherever you can, ripcurl.com, worldsurfleague.com. But it's this narrative of like you and Matthew McGillivray are kind of bemoaning the fact that your rookie year, which was supposed to be 2020, is not happening because of COVID. Um, you kind of have nothing to do and then you embark on this this uh, search escapade. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, me and Matt, not not too many people knew who we were and Rip Curl, like, took advantage of that. And the, basically the whole movie is about just us going on the search or, like, and we're just trying to get the A-team together. And we're not oh, – I'm not on the A-team yet. Matt is actually already on the A-team. And I'm just, like, hunting, getting everybody together and – they're all kind of brushing me and <laughs> pretending they don't know who I am. But yeah, it's um, it was good fun to film, and yeah, I don't want to give away too much. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was sick to film, and I I found the search. I think I'm pretty sure I'm on the A team now. Hopefully, you can stay there. But yeah, it's been it was a fun film to do. To watch watch the film to find out, but yeah, <laughs> that idea of the search it's it's been around since the early '90s. For those who don't know what it is, how would you, Morgan Sibilic, describe the search to, to someone who's never heard of it before? The search, um, in my opinion, the search is just going to find something that you find fun to do. Like you could just be searching for, you could go on a bush walk for like an hour, and then you come out and the, it's like a two foot beachy, and it's pretty average, but you get out there and there's no one around anywhere and you just have the most fun you've ever had in your life just on that one single wave and just with a couple of your mates. And that's my ideal like, idea of the search is just having fun with a couple of your mates and just finding perfect waves or 
your idea of perfect waves. Yeah, I love that idea where it's it's essentially it's specific to anybody out there. You know, you yeah. Can do, like I can travel around the world and go to Indonesia, or I can drive up the street and try to find it. So it's yeah, such a yeah. Cool idea. You got perfect waves around you everywhere. If you just want to go find them, go find a beachy by yourself. You just got to go get out there and do it. <laughs> Well, for those who, uh, who choose to listen to this podcast and, and still might not know who you are and haven't seen the film yet, who is Morgan Sibillic? How old are you? Where were you born? What was your upbringing like? Um, well, my name's Morgan. <laughs> I'm 20 years old. Was born in Lismore, up on the north coast of New South Wales, Australia. Was raised in um, Yamba and Yarry kind of area. And um, I've moved down to Newcastle and surfing around with uh, Ryan Callan and Julian Wilson's living here now and we got a pretty good crew. So yeah, I'm just, I'm just the average bloke that loves surfing. <laughs> and did, did you come from a family of surfers? Did mom or dad surf or were you the first one that got in the water? Well, my mom didn't surf. She grew up like kind of inland, but my dad, he grew up in Coolangatta actually. Um, and he started surf when he was like 17 or something, but he's always been around the ocean. And, um, yeah, he kind of taught me how to surf and both of my brothers actually surfed when I was younger. And yeah, they all got me into the water and my mom and my dad and my brothers were pushing me into waves since I was about like three or four. And I just loved it ever since. Yeah. You mentioned, um, you know, Ryan Callanan and Julian, they now live in the Merriweather area, but the Yamba and Gary area, but both those communities have really strong um, surfing communities, you know, and they've got really, really good surfers, whether they're surfers who have done the tour before or just people that live in the community, work in the community and just surf at a very high level. Who are some of the surfers that you looked up to as you were growing up in, in both communities? Um, well, for Angari, it's like pretty obvious. It's You got Laurie Towner and Dan Ross. Dan was on tour for a little while and you got older boys like Nat Young and Batty Trelaw and um, there's so many guys in that area to look up to, big wave surfers, guys who charged and just put in some big hacks into the into the water, which is like pretty sick to see. And I, I really liked looking up to Laurie because he's the most um, humble guy ever. You like see him, he won't talk himself up. You're out when it's like pretty solid and you're like, fuck, it's pretty hectic out here. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, there's a couple couple little ones and I'm like no there's not a couple little ones but it's like oh if I'm like how was that trip over to Chirps he's like yeah it was all right there was a couple couple fun ones I was like that doesn't look like too much fun to me <laughs> but yeah it's pretty cool to see how mellow those guys are and I'll, I'll try to take that away for myself but yeah it's you grew up in a really rich community and then I've got a couple older guys there Chris Saffis and Dakota Walters or Dakota's a bit younger than me but they're always pushing me in my surfing and they're good at aerials and stuff. So that was cool from there. And then in Newcastle, you got um, guys like Ryan Callan and Craig, which when I moved, I was like, whoa, it's Ryan Callan and Craig Anderson. <laughs> I remember seeing videos of Ryan doing those massive backside full rotors into layback. And like I came in and when I surfed with him, I was like, Oh my god, I'm stuck with Ryan Callan. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was it's pretty cool. And he's also like the most humble guy around, super cruisy and doesn't really talk himself up ever. So it's something to look up to and that's how I really wanna be like when I'm older. Hopefully not be, not keeping my head small. <laughs>
Well, I mean, it, it's interesting too, because everyone it, to a degree is a product of their environment, you know, and, and you, you've referenced Lori and, and Ryan and a few others that are really humble guys, which are kind of a, a, a person that you'd like to be like when you grow up in 20, but yeah. from a surfing perspective too, right? I mean, and Gary's got an amazing right hand point. These are guys, um, whether they're in, in Meriwether like Ryan or um, and Gary like Lori, like very powerful rail-based surfing, which in seeing what you can do on a board too, that that's a huge strength for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, going up both of those ways, Meriwether gets pretty solid a lot of the time. Like a lot, through, uh, like a lot of the time through the winter, it's pretty big and got lots of south swells pushing down and forms a right-hand point off that off the Meriwether point and um yeah those both of those waves just promote rail rail surfing so that's kind of all I grew up doing is just doing big turns <laughs> and the air sections were like <laughs> I never really looked at them because they were a bit scary for me <laughs> but um I'm slowly learning how to take to the air but yeah it's just my power my strength my whole life has just been sticking to the face. When did you first start competing in surfing? When I was like 12 I did a few little competitions and remember I did so badly <laughs> and I was the most competitive little kid you've ever met in your life I would no matter what I had to win at all costs and I remember like I couldn't win any surfing comps because it was all like mother nature and didn't know how to surf them at all and um yeah I just was crying and shit like that I'd be like fuck this I hate surfing <laughs> but um yeah I got over that and yeah, my, I remember one day my dad said to me, um, oh, hey, mate, it's all right if you get knocked early. Like, don't don't worry. And I remember I looked him in the eye. I was like, fuck you in my head. <laughs> and then I um, <laughs> went out and got second or something in that contest, and it was pretty sick. It's a funny thing. I mean, we, we talk about a lot, the WSL, I talk about a lot with guests on the lineup because with competitive surfing, it provides a platform it can give you a career it can push you to kind of surf better than you ever had otherwise but it sometimes feels like it's at odds with like free surfing there's really no rules and just in surfing there's really no rules yeah so as yeah how do you kind of wrestled with that throughout your young career already um well like oh my fa- i'll grew up kind of like watching like a surf clip here and there but i remember i didn't really like watch all that many surfing movies mm. but i remember i used to like look up to those guys more so than like competitive surfers because that's kind of what I saw more I didn't even really watch that much surfing at all my parents were like uh, like I was just always surfing <laughs> Not, I wasn't I watching anything I didn't really like have a phone or a computer I'd, all I had was just the beach so I kind of grew up watching free surfing and then transferring into competitions that, um I kind of really had no idea how to do it and but uh, it took me literally I reckon six years to learn how to surf for a decent heat. And, um, but, uh, yeah, it came all good, came through in the end, but honestly, what I, if I'm surfing, I'm having fun. So if I was being a free surfer, I'd be having a blast anytime anyway, because I've got no pressure on me or free surfers actually nearly have a lot more pressure because they've got to get clips every, they've got a certain time limit to get clips and whatnot. But yeah, it's a different type of pressure and whatever I'm doing in the water, I love. So it's it's even been something I've noticed being here for the last you know fifteen years is because the judging's changed and because the level of surfing and competitions changed. I think when I started, you saw a lot of surfers having to almost overthink how to surf heats, where they're like, I can't push it too hard, I can't push it too hard, and they would really let loose in free surfs. 
now the way people are surfing on the CT and even at the QS in a lot of ways, it feels like people really aren't holding back either. So, so maybe kind of you coming from a free surfing background, just growing up and having, being able to surf unbridled and surf as hard as you can has been really advantageous in heats because that's what scores. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you've been, if you've been watching the WSL in the past couple of years, you would have seen the guys just absolutely blowing up. You're like Felipe and Gabriel, you can't surf soft anymore. You can't hold back at all. You got to literally let it all hang out in like in your free surfs. You just got to push yourself. Like for a while there, I was falling off every single wave at the start of the year. Actually, I was pushing myself so hard because I was thinking, shit, I'm on the CT. I've got to surf so much better than these guys. And I remember going into um, all the first QSs, I just, I went really bad and I was just in my head I was like freaking out so much and then all of a sudden like when I was up at home and I had no comps on I was doing a bit of training with bottle and COVID hit there was nothing to do other than surf and I just all I did was surf and I got so much better and that the pressure just lifted off my shoulder and so yeah eventually yeah you just get way better (laughs) Well, I mean, at 20 years old too, it's it's a fascinating thing, right? Because I think the entire surfing world's really been focused on kind of these thoroughbred title contenders, whether it's a Gabe or a John or an Italo, and then the rise of the Brazilian storm. And and not that there haven't been really, really good surfers from Australia. You mentioned a bunch of them, Julian, Ryan, Owen, et cetera. But no one really had their eye on the next generation of Australians so much, right? And you're someone who really to be honest, at 20 years old, flew in under the radar to qualify. You know, how do you, how do you, how do you kind of view that in your mind? Yeah, it was um, really weird. I remember a few years ago, somebody said like, oh, there's no one coming up from Australia. And I was like, that kind of is, you just haven't seen them because we're all doing our own little contests over here and nobody's really like, they're all little 1,000 events and stuff. Whereas like all, you got all the Brazilians like Mateus and Samson and they're freakish like so good and then but like in Australia like I could see there's so many guys and there still is so many guys coming up that like I feel like nobody's actually heard of but yeah we had Ethan and you got he'd been around for a while so yeah that was pretty good but I felt like I was always fight I was always fighting I was, I've always been the underdog <laughs> so I don't know I, I like being the underdog so hopefully I can stay like that for a little while and um but yeah I feel like there's so many more guys coming up that nobody the world hasn't seen yet and yeah i'm I'm excited for the next couple years that's something that comes up a lot on this podcast whether we're talking to john john or griffin or lakey or whoever and and it's the idea of having to manage expectations so as you said like being the underdog or kind of flying under the radar there's a huge advantage to that because you kind of can compete and perform with less pressure than someone who's maybe been like overhyped by all the magazines yeah yeah i feel like it's a definitely a different pressure um when you're an under like for me myself coming onto the world tour um i was freaking out so much about how many people are um going to be watching me (laughs) i came from just surfing like small events and nobody's going to be watching me nobody's judging me and um yeah i was um i'm more freaked out about the amount of people I'm surfing in front of than anything else, not like who I'm surfing in front of. So that's like a massive barrier that I've got to get across. Whereas John, John and that they're expected to be doing well. So they, it's like, 
it, they've got a fair bit more pressure than me because they're competing for a title, obviously. But in my head at this stage, I'm only 20, so it's I'm feeling a lot, I was feeling a lot of pressure coming into Snapper at the start of the year. And now you've had a whole year to. Yeah, and now I've got a whole year to get better. It. I'm getting older, getting stronger. So yeah, it's going to be good. I'm I'm excited. Do you feel like you're somewhat untested though? Because I was running through your your QS sort of history, and it was you did looks like you did one event in 2015. You would have been 15. Um, three events in 2016, five events in 2017, which isn't uncommon because people kind of test in and they say like, I tried a few more, tried a few more. Then you have like a really solid breakout year in 2018. You get a fifth at Crewy, uh, third at Anglet, you win Mandura, a third at Cape Naturalist, and a third at Phillip Island. And then last year, you had another really consistent season with a fifth at Mother Nest, a ninth on the Gold Coast, a third at Galicia, a ninth at Aracera, and a 13th at Sunset. Like all really, really good results, a few wins in there, so you're proven. But in terms of what you said, like test, like surfing in front of big crowds, like getting CT yeah. wildcards, having the profile, is that something that you, you actively kind of work on right now ahead of the start of the CT season? Yeah, it's something that um, has always daunted me, daunted me surfing in front of big crowds. And I kind of use the Australian, like, like being at home in front of the home crowd, like expected to do well as like a little bit of a tester. But yeah, I missed out on my only wild card opportunity last year in Portugal when I broke my MCL. I broke it the day before um, the contest started, so I couldn't compete into that in that contest. But yeah, I feel like I got so much to learn, and I got so much room to be able to grow in the next couple of years. So I'm super excited to see where I'm at in a few years, and hopefully, I'm still still cranking on the tour. And yeah, we'll see how it goes there. And this year being kind of the weird off-season year and we have these countdown events and and australia's got three that's obviously we're obviously trying to wrestle with um operations and logistics but mm. you've got tweed pro you got the south strati event and you've got wa are you planning on competing in those yeah well as i don't know if i said it on here before i might have just said it to you i burst my eardrum um two days ago but uh i should be sweet to surf but i'm just praying there's no swells that like for like a, a week or two so I can, because I think the waiting period is about to start or it has started. Yeah, so hopefully we get a little bit of a break in between swells and I get my ear to get healed a little bit before any of the comps start. But I should be able to surf in, in the next couple of weeks with some earplugs and some headgear <laughs> like Sally did at Chopes. <laughs> yeah, it was a Fiji, right? Yeah, and it worked oh, Fiji. out. Fiji, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it worked out good. So maybe it's a lucky charm. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get uh, to the next segment, we're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors. All right. So for this week's review presented by BF Goodrich, we're going to watch you do battle at last season's Vans World Cup of Surfing at Sunset Beach. You went into this event needing a result to qualify. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I went into Hawaii needing a result, but I felt like I kind of didn't need anything because <laughs> I had I had a busted up knee and I didn't really feel, I wasn't feeling too much pressure going into Haleiwa especially. What what happened at Haleiwa? Because it, it's one of those things, again, where there's no expectations. You're like, I'm just happy to be in these events. I'll work on my seed points. But you got a result at Haleiwa, right? And that kind of set you up for um, for uh, for Sunset Beach here. Yeah, um, in Haleiwa, just uh, it was my first Triple Crown. And going into Haleiwa, it was my third or fourth time ever surfing it. <laughs> and I had the bust up knee, so I was kind of taking it easy. But... In one of my heats, I kind of went a bit overboard and got a pretty decent score, but I, 
I've pushed myself a little bit hard for it, I think. But yeah, I had no expectations and got a decent result at Halle Eva. I remember I needed a 30 set, uh, quarters and a semis or no, uh, around a 32 and a quarters to qualify or on paper qualify before anything changed. And I got the round of 32 at Halle Eva and I needed the quarters at sunset after that, but I kind of wasn't really thinking about it too much. So after you got that result at Halle Eva, did anything, you said you weren't thinking about it too much, but in your, at least partially, were you like, oh, wow, I could, I could be on tour. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I remember I did the mass and I was like, well, I could technically qualify right here, but literally last year or year, I never, in my whole life pretty much, I never actually expected that I could qualify. I never really <laughs> thought of myself up as like the top, with the top guys in the world. I just loved surfing and <laughs> having fun with my friends and, and stuff and then all of a sudden I was in that predicament so it's pretty crazy thought at that time I didn't really think about it too much uh, that blows me away because like every year there are thousands of surfers who want to qualify and and only so few actually do it you know so for someone like yourself to go in with minimal to no expectations and then find yourself in this position just kind of blows my mind but I think the waves probably at Haleiwa and Sunset Beach really suit your surfing or, or would you agree with that? Yeah, I kind of um, look at Sunset as um, just big Merriweather. It's they're such a similar wave, I find. Um, all kind of open oceans, like sl- steep but slopey faces at the same time and just promoting just power calves. And I, I feel like most Merriweather surfers do well in Hawaii <laughs> or people in this general area, in fact. Like it's kind of raw in the Newcastle area, especially through winter. So, yeah, and then in Haleiwa is kind of similar to in Gary Bowl, but just scaled up at Haleiwa by a lot. <laughs> but, yeah, that was they were both fun. I could relate to them a lot. And you said you'd only served Haleiwa a couple times before that event. Had you served Sunset that much in relation? Um, yeah, well, surfing Australia, I was lucky enough to get the call up the year before as, like, one of the promising surfers coming through. Uh, couldn't qualify into the primes, but surfing Australia bought us... Um, took me over with a couple other guys and we did a little camp and we stayed right on sunset. So they book a place right on sunset every year for the next guys. And I feel like if that, well, it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have come anywhere near. I would have had been a lost puppy out there. It, I mean, it's one of those spots that, um, you know, having been doing the tour for a long time, we stayed at sunset a long time too. And it's one of those things that the first year you learn a little bit and then by year five you're like I-, I know so much more about this wave than i did the first time it's so then i have yeah. so much more to learn out here it's just it's just such an open field and every time you paddle out you learn something new yeah it's it's the the biggest it's probably the biggest playing field out there for any like surf spot on the qs mm. um, i haven't surfed any of the spots on the ct really so i don't know but um yeah on the qs there's so much going on out there there's like five or six different spots you can sit out there. And if you watch Zeke in this heat, actually, you can just see how much of a, he's got a higher standard of knowledge out there. He's, he's got the place dialed and even his selection of turns and all the waves look so much bigger than everybody else's. Now, in a heat like this, because it is such a wide playing field, are you the kind of competitor that will talk to the other surfers in the water? Or do you kind of keep to yourself? If they talk to me, I'll talk to them, <laughs> but I'm not going to talk. I, like If they want to talk, talk, I'll talk. It doesn't get in my head really, but yeah, well, I, I, if they talk to me, I'll say, 
yeah, what's up, bro? <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It, it, nobody really talked in this heat. I don't think it was pretty serious. And uh, me and Liam were both in the qualifying spot. And right. I think Zeke was kind of fighting for it at that point. So yeah, it was pretty intense heat. And I think there may have even been pressure on Griffin too, because I think he hadn't done that well on the CT uh, um, yeah. after that opening event. And I think he was really looking to kind of sharpen himself. I had to pipe. He obviously ended up requalifying, but yeah, I think so. I actually think that was the case too. So I was a pretty like intense heat, and I was pretty nervous for it because I didn't. I was big, and I didn't really have that much like knowledge out there yet compared to the other blokes. And we obviously had two CT surfers at the time, and <laughs> Liam, who's coming like fifteenth on the QS, and I was just like, "What's going on? If I make this heat and..." After I made that heat, that just set me up for the next couple of heats. It just built my confidence so much. And someone like Liam O'Brien, is is he, I don't even know that much background about him either, but is he about your age or in terms of? Yeah, we're, we're the same age and we've been surfing against each other since we were really, really young. And um, yeah, he's, I traveled with him all the last year to every event on the primes because I think we were the only two guys really from Australia that were in the primes around our age. So yeah, mm. it was really good to hang out with Lob and he's such a good person to be pushing me <laughs> he's an insane surfer and he'll be there and he'll be on tour in the next few years I, I guarantee it let's talk about boards so in sunset in these kind of conditions what are you what are you riding in the heat um well actually in that this morning the morning of this day I um took out my 6.8 and I was they're pretty chunky boards but they're kind of skinny and really bought in at the tail and um, bought it my my six eight out, and I pretty much couldn't turn it. There was so much foam under me, and I was like, came in on the beach and just made the split decision. Ah, I'm gonna run my six six out there, which I think is maybe pretty small. I know Liam was on a six eight in the heat, and um, I was like, yeah, I was, um, I'll get boards get in my head so much. So making that decision and having Kikawa there helping me out was like a huge help as well. But yeah, I'm just riding a 6.6, pretty much just your standard step up and really brought in at the tail. And I like to get uh, extra glassing on my step up so it makes them a bit heavier just to push through all the bump and chop, especially at sunset. And with the wind that day, I think that helped me a lot as well out there. Now, are you picking up boards from local shapers in Hawaii or are you bringing them over from from home? Um, Well, this year I didn't really like have, like I just, got a couple boards off my shaper um I, I know i went over there and bam's like come on you got to get boards for next year off blah 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 but yeah I, I just hit up will weber who's my shaper and i was like he makes a really really good step up and i've known that since i was really young so i was pretty confident in his boards doing well over there and um yeah especially my sunset boards were looking super super sharp and i, I only got like two or three boards made i used like la- a lot of last year's boards as well and because um, well, it was all like, I didn't even know if I was going to be going over to Hawaii because of my knee. Mm. And then it all happened so far. So I was kind of not too prepared for it. But yeah, yeah, they all worked well in the end. Where do you fall on kind of foam in general? Because, um, yeah, I recently um, came across sort of an old um, Andy Irons Channel Islands board from 2004 as a 6.3 that he used in Fiji. It is no foam in it. Like it's probably like two and an eighth inches. It's so like, it's such a knife and he was a big dude. And I, and I was just, it's just blowing my mind, like holding it. Um, And I know like 
you know, Surfcore 2001, who I follow on Instagram, so funny. He's got like foam is for cowards kind of tagline. Yeah. Where do you and Will kind of sit just on general shortboards? Are you guys like real knifey boards, less foam, or are you a bit more a bit more beef? Um, I think we're like in between kind of. I don't. I ride boards that are uh, an inch or two longer than me, mm. and um, they're a bit skinnier. They're a lot skinnier than like a lot of my other boards. I think they're like than like a lot of my other competitors boards i think they're like 18 and a half or 18 something in the lower side of the 18 inch wide <laughs> anyways but yeah not not too much foam in them but i think i ran 26 liters 25.5 liters and i weigh 73 kilos so yeah, yeah i think yeah. it's a lot and less do, than other people and do you depart from the thruster very much do you ever try oh this is actually why don't you walk us through this wave now that we're watching it okay so this wave the heat had been going for a fair while I actually remember it too well, but I remember I, I was kind of stressing whether I needed to get a wave. Like there's like 13 minutes and the heat is already gone. And I was like, I only had a 2.9. Um, and I just kind of let it all hang out in the end. If you hit the lip at sunset, then they give you the score. <laughs> so like they had a, if, if I hadn't made that turn, I would have been kind of maybe like a six or something like that. But it was a smaller wave, so maybe a bit under. But yeah, I was just going for it. <laughs> Well, it's interesting competing out there on days like this too, right? Because Griffin and Liam don't have any scores. I guess Liam's up right now, but it's one of those ones where you, you do kind of have to get busy sometimes to get in a rhythm, even just to put stuff on the board. Yeah, it's uh, when you're watching it from the beach, you see so many waves, and when you, when when you're out there, there's nothing. And when you stand up at the back, it, it looks like there could be nothing on the entire wave for the rest of the wave, and then all of a sudden, it's going to wall up on the inside bowl which a lot of them actually end up doing, but some of them push wide and then some of them go deep and then close out. So it's a really hard wave to read. And I, I think I kept pretty busy this heat considering what you usually do at sunset. <laughs> so I got, yeah, <laughs> oh, that was my kind of strategy. And yeah. And it's also one of those waves too, that it just looks different depending on the swell direction, right? Cause you get those North swells that it, it's more of a proper kind of um, wall across across the point break there and then you get the west ones like this today's a bit more west where it stands up on the bowl um yeah and some surfers like surfing one versus the other do you have a preference on what you like surfing out at sunset i actually have no idea still kind of because I, I haven't been there enough and i don't even know the directions because i live on the east coast of australia so my compass my direction <laughs> sense of direction is all out but um I, I like just i like it when it's pretty big on the bowl yep and, and there's like a couple little barrels or like pretty steep in there that's kind of what i like to do this whole event i remember just being so blown away by by how again it's like the performance jumps in such a short amount of time just in the last few years and how aggressive everyone's getting like in the bowl like approaching the lip like the equipment they're riding and last year i remember just being so blown away by how everyone was just approaching their heats at sunset and how hard they were pushing it in the bowl and trying to do turns at the most critical part of the wave yeah, it was pretty impressive and so scary out there. Like, it's pretty solid out there. And, like, I think Liam at the very end of this heat after my wave, he goes for a, he goes for a turn on the inside of the bowl and tries to hit the lip, and it was pretty intense and so super solid in there. It's, I don't know. When you're in a heat, you just go for it, I guess. You, you're you not really thinking. You're just like, let's get this score. Let's do it, like. Let's let it all hang out. I'm qualifications on the line here. It's like make or break situation and you just go for it. 
you mentioned um, Keiko Bacalso a few times, um, who's a former world junior champion. He's a former like, CT heavy hitter. Um, I, I had the pleasure of getting to work with him quite a lot. Such a good guy to have in your corner in Hawaii. Yeah, without Bam, especially in Sunset, I would have not qualified at all. He was, he just, like, um, I get like a lot of, <laughs> in my head, like a lot of shit goes on. So I've been like trying not to swear <laughs> too much. Uh, a lot of shit goes on in my head when I'm like out in the water and stuff and I just need to try to keep it simple and that's exactly what um, Bam did. That's his nickname. Yeah, he just kept it simple and was just saying do this or do that and you're going to get a wave here or you're going to get a wave there and sure enough, a wave was coming there or a wave was going there and yeah, that's go. exactly what happened. Yeah, it's, I feel like um, when you're out there, your turns look so much smaller than what they feel. <laughs> you feel like you're doing the biggest turn ever, but you're watching this and you're doing a tiny little cutback. You know, it's funny. Like I remember reading, I read something about Mark Ocalupo talking about young surfers surfing at Sunset Beach. And, he, and the, he was so obsessed with the pace where he was just sort of like talking to himself about like, delay your bottom turn, delay your bottom turn, delay. And it's like, you know, yeah. because it's just, it's all about kind of reading the wave and finding those power pockets and not going too soon. If you go too soon by like a second, you're screwed. And if you wait too long by a second, you're screwed kind of thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's, that's something you can do with every wave is just like hold your bottom turn, just wait off the bottom to come up at the most perfect time you can. And at sunset, it's the wave's so unpredictable. So you're just going to make those split decisions to a, do I go now early and just risk getting <laughs> lit in the head or do we wait a little bit and then do a carve out in the open face? And I don't know, it's it's something that I've been working on a lot this past year, like just cutting out like all those little jumps off the bottom that you do. If you watch like Griffin right there, he, he didn't do any pumps off the bottom and kind of waited. Mm. He, he maybe would have made that turn if there was no backwash in the wave then. So it's such a hard wave out there and it's hard to describe unless you've surfed it. <laughs> you're talking about getting heavier glass jobs on your boards to kind of cut through a lot of that backwash at waves like sunset beach and i was going to ask you earlier because i'm always interested to hear from ct surfers are you the kind of guy that experiments with shapes and um construction do you ride like epoxies or quads or fishes or anything or do you just try to keep it as sharp as possible on your thrusters well i'm kind of experiment and but not too much not to like the extent like kelly used to or still right. does <laughs> but um yeah i like uh, getting on different boards and having a go of my mate's boards and whatnot and i've actually got a couple a little fish and a single fin coming from a guy um at Gary as well nav fox who's doing making these really cool fishes and they're like pretty high performance but i don't think i'll be riding them in this et but i feel like they're good just to groom out your surfing and get it all clean and looking nice um but yeah i haven't really experimented with the quads and stuff so much but i think I'm, I'm i've been watching a little bit of um bobby martinez yeah and i noticed he's riding a lot of quads and his surfing's looking really really sharp so i just kind of got my eye on a couple maybe a couple quads in the near future that's we'll funny like that. i i i mean there's so many surfers and you guys surf at such a high level all the time i understand that people are like no i just surf my my Ferrari thruster in all conditions, like terrible waves, like good waves. I just have to keep it as sharp as possible. But, you know, the people that don't and the people that kind of stretch out a little bit, it's, it feels like they explore different parts of the wave and different parts of equipment. And then they're able to kind of take that back into their surfing and get a different look and feel. And 
there's been a few instances where guys and girls have surfed like really interesting equipment, whether it's like the dumpster diver or the Merrick twin fin or, you know, like a round nose fish with Chris Ward at snapper rocks or something like that in CT heats and it, and it can work. Yeah. Well, I remember what that was it the dumpster diver. I think that Dane had at trestles. No, yeah. it was such a weirdly shaped board and he's such a good surfer and like he can surf anything obviously. Cause He's a freak, but he turned that board into a bestseller overnight. And like with the same with Bobby, I find I've been watching a little bit of his surfing lately. Um, he was riding the quads, and I don't know if it's the quads or his shaped boards or whatever, but his um, carve off the top, or even just his surfing, his style of surfing, but his carve off the top is um, something that I've tried to be tried to put into my surfing and. I think I'm going to, that's why I'm like, oh, should I try a quad and see if I can get that carve a little bit tighter and faster and whatnot. And whatever you, and if you experiment, you're going to get, you're going to get different results. So I, everybody start experimenting because I want to see what you're doing. <laughs> I'm all for it. Um, the, I, the answer might just be no, but have you had much experience surfing any of the wave systems, whether down in Melbourne or Waco or Surf Ranch? Um, I've only, I've surfed the one down in Melbourne, the, um, I forget what it's called, the, the, oh. the one near the airport there. Urban Surf, right? Urban Surf, that's right. Yeah, I surfed that and that was so fun. Uh, I surfed on the advanced and intermediate setting and I nearly found the intermediate setting like better. It's mm. like in a nicer paced, small, it was a bit smaller wave, I think, but it was just perfect pace and the lip was a bit more forgiving and you can just experiment so many different maneuvers on it which was pretty cool and i'm excited to have kelly's wave pool <laughs> if we ever get to <laughs> yeah and that and that's another one where like it's just a different kind of experience for surfers because you only get so much opportunity right you get your waves and you have to perform or you don't and you don't get to sit yeah. out there and try to grab another one and it's interesting to see some surfers really gravitate towards that um, kind of competition and do really really well and others yeah. that are just like, oh man, like I, I can't surf out here because I, I just like having the freedom of getting a wave whenever I want. Yeah, that um, that that's gonna really test me. That comp, <laughs> it's gonna be. I'm like so nervous for that event. Like you, you listen to the surfers that are already on tour and they've been on tour for ten years and they come in to their post heat interview and they say, oh, I was so nervous for that heat, man. And I'm like fuck, if you're nervous, I'm going to be fucking <laughs> shitting it out there. <laughs> God, I'll probably get a fall of a first turn. But no, I'm, I'm super excited um, for that comp because it's got like a perfect size left and I'll, I'll, I don't mind going left in like a two to three footer. <laughs> if you had to uh, say your backhand or your forehand was stronger, which one would you say? Um, I'd say my backhand probably is, especially when it's like, like three to four foot. Yeah, that was crazy by Zeke at the start of the heat. No, like, that's what I was saying. You can read this wave so well. You know, it's one of those things like Zeke is, he's a pretty fit dude. <laughs> he works on his fitness a ton. Like, yeah. And given that this has been an off season, like what kind of things have you done from just a training perspective to kind of get ready for whenever we return to competition? Uh, I haven't like actually been doing heaps and heaps. I've just been surfing a, cra a ridiculous amount just because that's where I want to improve mostly. I'm still 20. I don't, my body's not going to like break and then fall apart yet. I still got a little bit left in me, but um, 
I've been doing a lot of cardio with like a skipping rope and stuff. And especially before snapper, I was getting ready doing that stuff because you got, you got to, you could have a three, 200, 300 meter ride ahead of you doing turns the whole way. But I haven't been actually in the gym too much at, as of late, but I've just been surfing my brains out. <laughs> Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because there's so many different approaches to how people succeed on tour and like a through line through our conversation today has been, you kind of gone in with like a clarity of mind and not having too much pressure on yourself. And that's often when you've performed the best, you know? So from a sense of like, if you're overtraining, that might not actually put you in the right frame of mind. Like if you're just surfing a lot and you're feeling good about yeah. your, your surfing, it's almost a better place for you to be. Yeah, that that's definitely, that's, you've hit the nail on the head that's me to a T like if I'm feeling good with my surfing and feeling as long as I'm feeling fit as well like I'm 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 still doing stuff I just I'm doing less than what Zeke would be doing for example well, we yeah. we all are so that's okay yeah, yeah I'm just uh, I get get my cardio done and do all my stretches and stuff and make sure I'm feeling limber but um as long as I'm feeling good, it's like look good, feel good, kind of. You, you're looking good in the surf. You're looking good and feeling good. And that's kind of like I don't want to – if I put too much pressure on myself, that's what I feel like happens when I train really hard because I feel like I have to do well now because I've been putting in the effort. Whereas, yeah, if I, I – like I I've, I've have a bit more of a relaxed approach, then that's where I, I do my best. This might be your last wave. Walk us through it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I cool. came off the bottom now. I was pretty fucking scared to go up and hit that <laughs> lip. A huge lip. <laughs> yeah, and then I came off and did that nice carve, and it felt that carve felt way bigger than it was. And I think I should have just done um, a larry at the end of that wave and finished it, and I would have got a nice. Oh, I got a decent score, anyways. But and then this is the wave I was talking about. Lamb on the inside bowl comes up oh, right into the lip and yeah. tries to stomp it, and that's. <laughs> That's about as scary as surfing gets, I reckon, or for me, because I'm well, not surfing 50-foot jaws. Is what we, <laughs> Billy can do in the next year, we can ask yeah. him. But, yeah. I mean, is what you were saying, too. It's like qualifications on the line, and that's why Sunset is such kind of a radical event to finish the qualification series with, because you do have people pushing themselves because like their careers yeah. are on the line in a big way. you know. And, and if Liam makes that, he might bump up into advancing spot. Yeah, you're pushing yourself to the limit. I think um, actually Griff might have got a wave before and I don't know if he got the, I remember he got a wave and I thought he's going to get in front of me on this. Mm. <laughs> he's going to be in front of me and I knew I need, uh, in my mind I was like I need a score on this wave and I came off the bottom and that section was almost identical to a section I had earlier in the comp but just twice as big. And I, But I fell on the one earlier. I kind of just learned like don't push too hard on the turn and and you'll make it hopefully <laughs> and I just went up and let it all hang out and I was lucky to make that turn and but I should have finished the waves come on mate got to do that in the CT <laughs> that's all right you get time and so yeah. you advance through this heat you, you continue through the event and and you push yourself into a qualification position walk us through what that was like and when you found out that you'd secured a spot on the 2020-2021 championship tour yeah, well, the next heat after that, I got. I remember it was my goal to make it to the heat after the next heat round at the quarters because that was, um, like I said earlier, that on paper that was the where I would have to make it to qualify technically, and I um, got paddled out. 
Um, everybody, well, a few people caught waves and I didn't get a wave in the set. I got the last wave of the set, sorry, and I was like, all right, I need to do something here because this is the lot, this is the heat I need to make to qualify and um, stood up and it was a closeout. But I pulled in and came out of the barrel and I got like a nine, I think, on it. And then I didn't get another wave for the rest of the heat and it was the scariest like 20 minutes of my life. Got through that heat and that was like my goal. And then in the next heat, got an interference. If I made that next heat, there was instant qualification locked, right yeah. there. Yeah, I was locked in. And <laughs> the paddle into the sunset was so, it's so hard on some of the waves. And I looked onto my inside and it looked like Stewie wasn't going to go. And I just paddled smart, so hard into it, just stood up, surfed the whole wave to the end. I think watching that wave, it would have been like a pretty decent score for that heat, probably would have got me through the heat. And then I got to the end and I still didn't even realise I'd burnt Stewie. The boys were blowing up at me in the channel and I was like, fuck. And I just rattled for the rest of the heat and then, yeah, anyways, didn't qualify then. It was the most nerve-wracking time watching um, watching Sunset and Zeke got all the way to the final and and I think if he won, then he would have knocked me out. And if Stewie had he got third in a heat, he would have knocked me out, but he got fourth and then somebody else got knocked in a heat and it was everything just kind of fell my way and then it went down a pipe. And I remember I, I like it was one of the first times I met Owen and um he like we were hanging out in the lounge or whatever and he's like, Oh, so you might qualify and I was like, Yeah, he's like, Oh, what are you coming? Did the maths with me and he just said to me, Look, mate, you're on the tour. <laughs> you're gonna <laughs> you made it, don't worry. Trust me. And but and so we were just like kinda did a mini celebration, but um and then watched the whole of pipe and Jesse Mendez just kept making every heat and he was the one guy that we were like, please don't keep going. <laughs> but like for him, I'm not writing him off, but I was like, fucking get knocked out, Jesse. <laughs> and, and then um, I think Yago knocked him out or somebody knocked him out. And But I think Yago was the guy that double qualified in the end. And, yeah, it was the most surreal experience of my life and, like, came out up with the WSL audio and the video and everybody sprayed champagne in my face. And, and was, it was pretty wild. It was a crazy experience of my life for sure. That is an unbelievable sequencing. So I do want to touch on a few more things before we let you go. But yeah. before that, we're going to take one more quick break to get another word in from our sponsors. All right. So probably one of the most, probably one of the most drawn out and stressful and, and, and exciting ways to qualify, having to just watch everyone through sunset, through pipe. It's been one of those bizarre seasons, obviously, for a lot of reasons. Um, and we're waiting on the start of the actual championship tour where you're going to get your rookie debut, um, which is pretty rare. I think a lot of rookies, you know, they tend to qualify. They've got at least like one CT wildcard under their belt somewhere from a sponsor. As you said, you missed yours in Portugal last year because you hurt your, your knee. What are you going to do between now and the start of the season, whenever that is? How, how does your program, what's your, what's your week in, week out program look like? Well, at the moment, because I've got my ears busted, I'm doing, I'm doing not much, but I'll be, I'll, I'm about to start training again because I didn't train the past couple of days because I didn't want to hurt my ear too much and blow it out anymore. But basically, I've um, Ryan and Julian. I live in, in Newcastle, and I've just been, especially Ryan, been surfing with him pretty much every single day. 
and um, doing a lot of filming, just stacking clips. So hopefully, it will after all after everybody's viewed this in the next couple months, hopefully I can um, or in the next year or whatever, I want to make a really good surf clip as well. Because what else? What better to use your time than to keep surfing and put out some more stuff for you guys to watch, which is my ultimate goal. I, lo- I love filming and I love watching surf videos. So, I, yeah, it's my goal to make a good one. It's one of those funny things too that um, you hadn't actually started the championship tour. We had 2020 as an off year and the WSL announced some pretty significant changes to the CT um, when it starts again yeah. um, in terms of how it determines the world champion. And I wanted to get your, your thoughts on that. Um, just um, totally unvarnished, whatever you'd like to say about it. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm actually, um, I really, I actually really, really like the idea of what they're doing. Um, it's so much better for people who just qualify. I Now I only have to worry about doing the CT for the entire year. Get I don't have to worry about doing the QS and doing all that kind of stuff. And then for the guys that are coming through, they only have to worry about doing little segments of the year. They can, if they don't have a major sponsor, they can work for that time of year and for the the part that they're not surfing in contests, save the money up and then do their own little section, do their little section. And hopefully one day they'll qualify. And then on the tour, everything's still in a good time zone. They're all going to, we're going to get pumping waves at, at every, every zone, which is amazing. Like pipe's still in the winter and, <laughs> which it has to be because it'll be shit if it's not. Um, but Portugal, I think, has moved and that, um, I think, yeah, that'll be good when that comes through. I love Portugal and I think they get pumping waves around that time of year as well. And then it goes into the Ausleg and then from there. But um, I I'm, don't really see myself in the surf off for the title <laughs> just yet. But you never know. I could be there. Um, but... That's pretty interesting, I think, and hopefully they get pumping waves and it's a good event and we'll see at the end of this year and whatever happens, if it, if it goes terrible, then they can change it back. I think it could be a superb change for the whole surfing industry because so many more people are going to be watching it if it's pumping waves and it's the, the final heats against the best two surfers in the world. Like people who don't surf might start watching it if it's at Indo and it's cranking people who don't surf can actually enjoy that rather than when it's at I don't know Jay or Bells when it breaks like it's an inconsistent surf at Bells they'll be like people who don't watch surf and have never seen it before they'll be like what is going on here is this the most boring sport in the world so I think it'll be a good change and we'll see what happens after next year well for sure and if you do find yourself in the WSL finals in 2021 one day event for the world title where would you want that event to be held for your for your oh, that's a, such a good question um <laughs> that yeah i don't know somewhere in indo i guess like maybe even like somewhere like periscopes or something where you can get a barrel come out and then do turns or like i feel like wherever wave it's got it's at like i feel like they should nearly do two waves where it's one at like macaroni so it's a rippable left and then one at a rippable right so like but it's not just like trestles where you can just do the biggest punts because it's like kind of soft. It's just like pretty heavy and got a lot of power and like tests everybody to their full potential. Got barrels and turns and everything. I feel like it indoors the best location. Yeah, I'd watch that for sure. 
Yeah. So, so we put it out to the Instagram community to see if anyone had questions for you, and they did. Um, and so we actually a lot of questions for you, but we narrowed it down to three. <laughs> First question is from L. Beachbum, who asks, Sibilic, where does that last name come from? Last name? Uh, uh, I think it's actually pronounced Sibilich. Sibilich. Um, yeah, me. it's uh, Croatian. Yeah, and my grandpa moved to Australia when he was 16, just hopped on a boat or hopped off the boat in Australia by himself <laughs> and then just, yeah, started living here and made a life for our family. And, um, yeah, I don't, I never actually met my grandpa because he passed away before I was born. But, yeah, so our family kind of is a bit separated on that side. Yeah, but Croatian. And he changed his name. I remember he changed the last name of Siblik to Siblic. He put a H on the end so people would pronounce it correctly. But, um he took it off because he wanted to keep it the same and nobody, nobody's uh, Croatian here, so they're not going to be pronouncing Siblic, so it's just Siblic. <laughs> we, we'll start doing it, Siblic. We'll, we're going to fix it all here with the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, next question. Jay Payne, uh, 5780 asks, why the smiley face on the board? Why the smiley face? Because what's wrong with smiling? <laughs> just smile. Yeah, I don't know. It's simple, it's easy, and it was colourful, and I, I, I really liked it, and that's why we named the model of that board the smiley face. <laughs> that was, like, the first model that we've ever made for that board. And, um, yeah, fuck, why, why not just be happy? <laughs> I didn't know what Good else answer. to put on it. <laughs> All right, last question is from Wills I Am. I know this guy. Um, ask about his red horse tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> I got a um, red horse tattoo on the back of my arm and at the QS in the Philippines two years ago, um, I, we got had a few beers and the logo on the beers is a red horse and we got told this pretty funny story but and it's a pretty long story and um, yeah, we ended up, me and a couple of my mates got a red horse tattoo and it's on the back of my arm <laughs> up the red horse, 6.9% alcohol. <laughs> is, I was say, is, it, is the beer good at least yeah it's actually not too bad for a 6.9 percent <laughs> yeah and it, the first one's great i don't hard. remember the second one it's fine yeah it whacks you pretty hard <laughs> awesome well for our final segment we do the lightning round so there's 10 questions you answer those as fast as you can shit all right if you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad, bonzer, or finless, which would you choose? Twin fin. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Burrito or pizza? Burrito. Last book you read? Um, fucking, I don't know. <laughs> Mick, uh, probably one of that Mick Fanning kids book or whatever <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> Best surf film ever. Best, uh, I love Modern Collective. Mm. Postcards from Morgan's pretty good too, but you probably oh, yeah. Well. yeah, give it a watch. Don't forget to watch it. <laughs> Don't to watch it. Um, one wave you never have to go back to? Uh, maybe like Chiba. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life? Rocks at Mayweather. <laughs> Best person to share a lineup with? Uh, MR maybe he's pretty mm -hmm. cool to share a lineup with. Worst person to share a lineup with? 
Um, my mate Isaac, because he just takes on my waves. <laughs> last question or last one. Finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by winning the world title. Morgan Sibilich, thank you so much for joining the lineup. Congratulations on qualifying for the championship tour. I can't wait to watch you surf on that as soon as it starts. And congratulations on postcards for Morgs. The film is amazing. Thank you. It was amazing to make. And thanks, everybody, for watching. So that's it. That's the lineup presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold's conversation with Morgan Sibilich. I hope you enjoyed it. He seems like a great kid, and I'm excited to see what he does when he first puts on the championship tour jersey. If you haven't yet checked out his film, Postcards from Morgs, you can do that at worldsurfleague.com or ripcurl.com. It's totally worth your time. This episode is produced by Ryan Fawcett with art direction by Jason Penning. Thanks to both of them, and thanks to our sponsors for supporting these conversations. The lineup acknowledges that it is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash and the Kichtubagnar people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday.